right, grab your Bible and stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be on page 990 in the Bibles around the room. That's 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 17. When I finish, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and your response is going to be thanks be to God, because indeed we are thankful that God has given us his word. It is amazing. All right, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 17. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you this morning. We praise you for your word to us. We thank you for the grace of Christ Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to understand your teachings this morning. Help us not to be idle, not to be busybodies, but to be busy doing your will. Open our hearts and minds that we may learn from you alone, gracious Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning, Living Stones. How are you? Yeah, look at that energy. Yeah. Woo! Right on. Love it. And I think it's just because there was that verse where it's like, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's where we're like, amen, amen. <laughs> I'm not feeding you, right? We love that verse. Oh, man, you guys are terrible. Uh, you, some of you, that's like, that's my political party right there. You don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. Oh, man, we got some work to do in this text, man, that's for sure. Oh, we got some work. And uh, some of you can be like, oh, this, th- I'm really not doing that great. Okay, all right, this Oh, this is about me, actually. Yeah, it's about you. Uh, so we got we got some stuff to do. Um, man, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be with you. Really thankful. And want to start on a couple things. One, just say, um, you are amazing. Two weeks ago, when we had our conference here that Living Stones was hosting in the ballroom in Reno, um, there was just this moment, the Holy Spirit, I don't know, I just it's just kind of bubbled up inside me, you know, those moments where you just, you see something and you're just like, man, I, man, I just love what I see. And there was, somebody was talking, I don't even know who it was. I don't even remember. Uh, I don't even know what they said, but what happened in me 
was the church is beautiful and God's people are amazing. And uh, I just made a mental note in my journal, make sure to tell the church that they're amazing. And, uh, and so I just remaining, I just want to be like, all right, Lord, you gave me that. I want to give it to you and just say, thank you. You guys are beautiful. It is a privilege to pastor here. Man, all right. Well, we're finishing out this book of 2 Thessalonians. We've been working through this viral hope series. And here we are. We're, we went through the first letter, and now we're at the very last sermon, the last text of the last letter. And, uh, and sermon series are always interesting because um, when we plan these things, we're like, this is, man, viral hope. It's going to, like, change everything, you know? And then we kind of name it, claim it, and we put it out there. Uh, but only the Holy Spirit can make these things viral. And only the Holy Spirit can take something that we've planned or put together or we framed or we put language to. It's like that's, that's our best work and the Holy Spirit has to take it. And our prayer this week as family elders, as Sparks elders, as staff, as we prayer walked in different parts of the city this week, we've been praying that, that our, our hope for viral hope will be true. And that sometimes teaching series kind of encapsulate a person's spiritual growth in that season. And, and I don't know what God has been doing, um, but man, the hope is that the gospel will begin to work itself out in a viral way in every corner of your heart and soul. If there's a part of you this morning that doesn't belong to the Lord Jesus, he wants it. He wants the whole thing. And if you're searching and seeking after Jesus, realize that, that, that meeting Christ is not just kind of adding him to your life, but it is a complete handing over of your life to him because he wants the whole thing. He made you, he loves you, he saved you, he's come for you. He's, he's restoring all things for our sake. And so he, we, we worship him by giving every part. And that's the great thing about this series is what I love about the book of Thessalonians. It's very gritty. It's very uh, like in the dirt. It's not like these high and mighty ethereal ivory tower theological ideas. It's like work. <laughs> the gospel determines how we work. It's, it's, it's about relationship. It's about sex. It's about, it's about our everyday life. And that's, that's this great misnomer, this, this thing that we have to continually we have to continually surrender our thoughts to is that Jesus did not come just to give us a better Sunday morning. That Jesus is not just about the spiritual part of our lives, but that every part of our life is spiritual and that every part of our life belongs to him. And what I love about this is that the way Paul ends his letter, he could have ended it with a great ceremonious theological treaty he could have he could have he said a lot about church things and 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 you know being a disciple in in um you know in various ways how does he end the book with how you work he ends the book not with sunday but with monday through friday and what i love about this this morning is one of the few examples where the church is literally to get up in one another's grill over is about what you do in your nine to five. There's not very many examples in the Bible where we're literally supposed to go, hey, if you're not willing to incorporate the gospel as a Christian in this area of your life, then we are going to ask you to step out because you're not, you're not in step with the gospel. 
Church discipline is what that's called. And one of the few places in the New Testament that we're called to practice this kind of church discipline is in an area that you may not think is very important to the Lord Jesus. That's your daily job. But it is very important to the Lord Jesus. And how we work and, and all of those things, and we'll see in Thessalonians how's it, how it works out. I, uh, when I was 15, I was, I was asked to um, do a job. I was asked by Christy's dad. Christy's my wife. Um, I, I thought, you know, I, I wanted to be with her. I wanted to marry her. I would do anything in order to be around her and try to convince her that, um, that, that she wanted to marry me too, you know, kind of a, and, uh, and she wasn't always convinced by that. Took a long time, but her dad, and we were in the same church. Her dad asked me to come on the weekends, uh, to a, to a fabrication company that he owned and to make some parts. And I didn't ask very many questions because I didn't care about the job itself. I wasn't working for money. I was working for Christy. I was trying to be impressive and get time and, you know, like maybe like flex or something. And so I was just looking for opportunity. And so he said, would, would you be willing to come every Saturday um, for however long it was and, and do this job that I need to get done, this fabrication job? I said, okay, yeah, yeah no problem. Sure. And I knew Christy would be there on the weekends, and I knew I'd have a 30-minute lunch with her where I would go into the, the lunchroom, and I'd sit there, and that would just be my time. I, I was awkward. I was weird. But it was like I was in the same room with her. That's all I cared about. 30 minutes. I would do anything for that 30 minutes. And uh, I regret that now. Uh, at the time, it was amazing, but it didn't take long for me to go, what have I done, you know? And so the, this job that my now father-in-law gave me uh, was for this, these pool covers. He manufactured these little clips for pool covers, and they, they slid on a track, and they were about this big, and they were made of nylon, and they were just a, just a billet, just a block of nylon, and there was about 19 different steps for 25,000 of these. And, uh, and they were all done on a router, and, uh, and it was just the most economical way is to pay a stupid 15-year-old who wanted time with his daughter, like, yeah, okay, you do, all right, uh, you're going to work for it, sucker. And so, and, you know, instead of, like, using, like, automated machines or investing a lot, he's like, I'll just invest in a stupid 15-year-old. And so I would literally stand at this router with, like, little fingers and just do 25,000 step one, 25,000 step two, this incremental thing where you take a billet of nylon and you create it into a clip. And I... I would go home, my fingers would be bleeding. I know, oh, thank you, yeah, I know. I'm so underappreciated. And uh, if you could stay for second service when Christy is here, that would be helpful. And so, the things I've done, you know? And so I would like, my fingers were raw and I would go like all week long and I'd work 10 to 12 hours every Saturday and I did this for months for a 30 minute lunch with Christy, right? That's amazing. It's like when you are, when you have a motivation, it is amazing what you will do for it. Now, maybe for me, it was like, I just want that 30 minute lunch. But maybe, you know, for now as an adult, it's like, no, I, I want the salary, right? I want the stuff. I want like everything that all, all the kind of things that I need or provide for my kids or my wife or whatever. We're, we're very motivated. And it's amazing when you're motivated, the things that you will do out of the affection of the thing that you're motivated for. So if you're really affectionate for money, you will do a lot. Or if you're affectionate for your wife and your family or 
the affection for your own dreams, you will accomplish a lot. Now, what about your affection for the Lord Jesus and your work? What would it look like in your day-to-day life if that same kind of affection, if I had that affection for the Lord Jesus, to what ends would I work for? And to what degree would I work? And what would my work ethic be like? How would that affection change the way that I work a nine-to-five or whatever your hours are? I know nine-to-five is not everybody's hours. That's what Paul's asking this morning. Do you know that meeting Jesus changes everything, including the way that we work? And uh, sometimes you'll read a passage like this one, and you'll be like, oh, this is for somebody else. No, this is for all of us this morning. Because he's going to ride it through this lens of idlers, people who are idle. They're just sitting at stop with the motor on. They're not going anywhere. They're just burning gas. And, and you could read this and go, okay, this is for somebody else because I'm already working hard. But the question this morning is not whether you are working or not working. The question is, why are you working? And how you are working because of why you're working. So I'm gonna, I, these are negative, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at them in the opposite to give us an idea of what Paul's really getting at. Verse 6 of chapter 3, Paul says this, Now we command you. Check that out. It's not, now we opinion you, now we softball you, now we're like, hey, if you want to, as part of your Christian walk, go ahead and ponder these things. Like, no, no, I command you, brothers, and we've seen that he's been talking to the church, so this is for us. I command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. All right, that's, it's, it's negative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it and look at it through the intention of what Paul is getting at here. But let's look at the context. The context of the very last thing he writes in 2 Thessalonians about idlers and being idle. Now, this is, this is weird because maybe you'll think idle is just somebody who just refuses to work. But that, that's actually not what's going on here. There's a couple things happening, and they're a little cloudy. We're not exactly sure, but I'll I'll propose two options that is happening in the church. I think both these things are happening. And, uh, I mean, there's proof of both. One is proof in the text, and one is proof in the culture. And and the first thing that's happening is Paul's addressing people um, uh, who think that the Lord Jesus is going to return from heaven at any moment. And so then, therefore, they want to be really busy about church things and getting ready for Jesus that they actually stopped working a normal job. And so they stopped They stopped working in their everyday life, working their farm, whatever it is. And they're so focused on the return of Jesus that that they've just kind of stopped participating in everyday life. Separatists. They become separatists. And so they're at the church. They're doing church things. They've created this box of uh, of spiritual. This is the spiritual compartment. And Jesus is going to return any day. So I'm just going to be about these things. And, And Paul says that's being idle. And we've seen in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that there was, there was a problem with the return of Jesus. A lot of people were expecting it in these letters. They're like, Paul, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen, man? You know, we're like, we're ready. I'm, I'm like selling all my stuff. I'm, I'm hanging out on the roof. I'm waiting for Jesus to take me away. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, back that truck up. Go back to work, you know. 
And so you have this, it's, it's this over-realized, this over-realized view of Jesus returning that's caused them to re- separate themselves from their everyday responsibilities. The second thing that's happening that Paul's addressing in this word idler or idol is uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a weird cultural thing happening. That is rich people in Thessalonica was a very rich city in the Roman Empire. And Thessalonica, the rich people of Thessalonica began to collect benefactors. And the more benefactors you had, the higher your social status as a rich person. You know what we call that now? An entourage, right? An NBA entourage, right? LeBron James has an entourage, right? He just does. These are people who are paid from from LeBron or paid from the rich person in order to live a life around them, eat the food, go to the parties, to what end? To make them look good and to give them a great experience, right? And in, in Thessalonica, there was these benefactors, rich people who created entourages. And, and then what would happen is, the, the rich person and or the people who were part of the entourage would meet Jesus. And now they're like, what do we do? We're not, we're working for this guy's good and he's paying me, but I'm not really doing any work. I'm just falling around and eating good food, right? And making him look good, giving him a great social status. And, and if you were on the payroll of a benefactor in, in this culture, Everything that you did was for the good of the person that was signing your paycheck, right? We can understand that. So then you worked for them in a sense. And, and you worked for their social status and you worked for their fame and you worked for their notoriety and name. And what happens when, when one of these benefactors, maybe one of the, the rich folks, they meet Jesus. They're like, well, what do we do now? Or maybe one of the people on the entourage are like, we met, we met Jesus, what do we do now? Paul's like, go to work. You don't live off, you have a new benefactor. You see that? That's the whole point. And that the idler wasn't, they weren't idle in the sense that they were doing nothing. They were idle in the sense that they were not doing something meaningful in light of Jesus doing what Jesus has done for us, namely dying and living perfectly, working for us, giving us his righteousness, and now that has impact on what I do. And so we have these idlers, and that's what's happening in the church. And so then what does Paul, Paul say? Paul comes back and, and makes, an ask, makes an assertion that hard work or working hard is a byproduct of the gospel. Think about that. Working hard at your job is a byproduct of knowing Jesus. That as you grow in Jesus, you don't retreat from your responsibilities. You go deeper into your responsibilities because Jesus is driving and transforming your motivations and what you're working for. And, and I'll show you in the text, right? So look, he says here. He says, those who are walking in idleness and not in accord 
with the tradition that you receive from us. The contrast is not walking in idleness versus those who are working. It's the way that they're working and getting their paycheck versus the way that's in accordance with the tradition that's been handed to them. Namely, the way that they've been discipled by a disciple. And so then in Thessalonians, we got disciples making disciples, and, and we're being called as not only into the job, but we're being called to disciple people. Hey, when you meet Jesus, your job changes. But it, it doesn't change in that you work less, you actually work differently. And that you're being called by the gospel to do a great work in your nine to five. And this tradition is great. Man, there's all, all kinds of things. This word tradition, Paul's pointing to two things. One, he's going all the way back to Genesis chapter one and to Genesis chapter two. The tradition that Paul's first pointing to is the tradition of creation. And that is when God created everything, he created Adam and Eve. He didn't give them a uniform though, right? And he created Adam and Eve and he said, all right, now awkwardly work the garden naked and, uh, I'm just saying, read your Bible. It's weird. And, uh, and so it's like, go and work the garden, right? You notice before sin, before the fall, before middle management, uh, that, that they were given jobs to do. They were given work to do. Your job is not a result of sin. The way your job works is a result of sin. But you were called to a vocation from the very, very beginning. That's the tradition, not of just tradition of culture. It's the tradition of creation. That God is literally asking you to subdue the world and to subdue creation, but because of sin, now our job subdues us, or now the earth subdues, subdues us when we were called to subdue the world. But the tradition was God has given you work, and work is not a sin, nor neither part of the fall. Now it's all fallen now, of course, right? Some of you struggle to get a job. That's the fall. Some of you struggle to be successful at your job. Some of you struggle with the skills for your job. Some of you struggle with coworkers at your job. This, this is all part of the fall. But the job itself is part of the tradition of creation. It's what we're called to. So then Paul's like, look, you met Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you get invited back into the very central purpose of what Jesus created the world for, which is to work and to subdue the garden, to expand to expand the peace of the garden over the whole planet through your job. That's incredible. But the second part is the tradition that has been handed to them when they met Jesus, which means Paul's going, the invitation of the gospel goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, but it also is part of the tradition. Now that you're a Christian, your job changes. Look at in verse seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. So he says, look at it. It's in accordance with the tradition that you received from us. What did you receive? You received from us the teaching of creation, but then you also received from us the example to imitate. And Paul's like, look, guys, church, I work hard. I work so hard, which working hard is in line with the gospel, not, not in contrast to the gospel. The great Martin Luther, it is not effort that God is against. It is earning. You hear that? And there's a lot, I think there's some of us who have believed this idea that, man, the gospel means I'm, I, I, don't have, I don't have to work hard or all the work's been done for me. So I just kind of lay back and like the, like the welfare system, just take from God. 
That's not how it's been set up. It's been set up so that you work differently. And it's both creation and it's both discipleship. And Paul has worked in such a way to imitate. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's the gospel. It is not me, but God's grace has created everything that I've done and everything that I am. It's all because of grace. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And there becomes the fundamental difference. You meet Jesus, and all of a sudden now you're living in a different power of grace to apply in a different way in your work. And we work hard. That's in, that's in connection. So here's what I think Paul says, so, says to the church. In the name of Jesus' work. Think about that. In the name of Jesus' work. Some of you are like, I'm already working. Yeah. What Paul's saying is, in the name of Jesus' work. You see the difference? Look as it goes on. Or look back in verse 6. Look at the command. We command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you, when you, pull, out, when you pull out like three names, like all, your first, middle, and last name, you know it's important, right? You come running. You know mama's like mad. You're like, okay, I'm coming. You know, I'm, my middle name is Irwin, Mark Irwin South. I'm like, okay, well, when Irwin gets pulled out, this is big because I hate that name. And so <laughs> Irwin, I can't, it's like my parents hate me. And uh, which is funny, it's my dad's name, but I actually prefer his middle name, but my brother got it. So I'm, I'm not happy about that. Uh, anyway, so, but when my parents would say Mark Irwin South, I knew it was bad, right? And I knew it meant something. It was significant, right? And look at what Paul does. Lord Jesus Christ, he pulls out all three. And you see that? He's like, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're like, whoa, there's three names there. He pulls out the whole thing. That's significant because that's the fullness of the name in which we're being commanded to work hard as a byproduct of the gospel. And look at this name. In fact, there's only one name of Jesus here and two titles, right? It's, a, it's like a Jesus sandwich. On one side, the bread is the Lord, and the other, the bottom piece of bread, is Christ. And they, they actually have different meanings and different significance. So look at this name that we're to work in and see if it makes a difference in our daily work. One, Jesus. That's his only name here. And Jesus represents this is the man of God, the son of God, right? Uh, the son of God who becomes man. This is the incarnation, Jesus. This is a, a man who lived just like you. I mean, think about Jesus. We're about to go into Advent where, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but it took 30 years for Jesus from his birth to his ministry to begin. And so for 30 years, he worked a job. For 30 years, he swung a hammer. For 30 years, he went to work with no notoriety, and nobody knew who he was. He was the man Jesus who went to work. And then we have on the front end, Lord. What does Lord mean? Lord means God. It's his deity. It's a title of deity. Lord means ruler, king, in charge, power to command. So Paul's like, look, in the name of the king, man, the king, son of God, who was man, work. Meaning because we have a great king, and that king empowers his people to work hard. Because we have a king and a ruler, and he's in charge of us, right? But then on the last part is the word Christ. The word Christ is the word for anointed. 
the Messiah, the weighted one, or the four-weighted one, or the, you know, the, um, and so you have this Christ is Savior. So think about it. Paul's like, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ work. In the name of the king, ruler, the one who's in charge over all things, go to work. Because you're working in his kingdom now. Jesus, the man who, who knows work, he was a man in the flesh just like you. He also worked a job for 30 years just like you. And his, his ministry was founded in, in anonymity just like us. We, we wake up, we go to work, we come home, we, we hope it's meaningful, but we don't necessarily, we're not famous for it. Either was Jesus. And then lastly was Savior, meaning in the name of the King man who did the ultimate work. He did the ultimate work for us. He's our Savior. Jesus came to earth to go to work for us. And his work was the hardest work of all, going to the cross. His work was the hardest work of all, resurrecting from the dead. Nobody's been able to do that until now, right? Only Jesus had the power to do that. He was the only one that could die and raise from the dead. Jesus goes to work. And so then, the way that Paul's framing it is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, go to work. Now, there's lots of names to go to work for. Here's the difference. The difference is not go to work versus not going to work. We're already going to work. The difference is for who? The difference is for who? And we're to go to work every day in the name of the Lord Jesus. And there's lots of names. Some of you go to work for the name of money or status or approval or significance to, for retirement, for security, for peace. What, whatever the name that you go to work for, now that you've met Jesus, we don't, we, those are all secondary to the name of Jesus that we go to work for. And so I'd say there's many names to go to work for, but only one name worthy and only one name that makes your work worthy. You see that? So the first is go to work, church. Work. Don't, don't spiritualize your job as if church stuff is significantly different or better than your non-church stuff. You're called to work. You go, you go out and work that nine to five, but you do it in the name of Jesus. You do it in a new name. And then the second thing that Paul's going to encourage work is he's going to say, hey, work in the name of the Lord Jesus and then work to give. Work to give. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to anyone. Check that out. Verse 9, it was not because we did not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul was an apostle. He had the right to come into a church and go, hey, I'm here to preach. Uh, I need a paycheck. But instead, Paul goes, no, I want to give you an example of what it's like to pursue and follow Christ, even though there's a right, and he would, there would have been nothing wrong with that. It was he denied himself that right in order not to be a burden on the church, but to set as an example to the church how you are supposed to work as a Christian. That's a great, that's incredible that he gave his life to that, not only his words. And the gospel changes our working and why we work because of what Jesus has given us. Paul says, I, I didn't want to be a 
burden to anyone. I didn't want to be a burden. And that's incredible. What? I don't want to be a burden. Now, some we, we say that. We're like, I'm working every day. I'm working a good job. I want to get paid well because I don't, I don't want to tax the system. I don't want to be a burden on other people. I don't want other people to have to, you know, deal with my mess or whatever. Now, first, let me say this. It is not a sin to be a burden when there's legitimate need. Some of you, it's not a burden. It is our joy to serve you in this season. That's not what he's talking about. The burden is not whether or not you're you're being served by the church. The burden is those who are able, but they're choosing otherwise. They're being selfish, right? So it's not it's not that it's not like Paul's going, "Hey, none of you should have need." No, no. The idea is that there's some people who are taking from from the church's ability to actually serve need because they're burdening the church or the resources or other people's time when they themselves could could work to free burden instead of be a burden. But if you're in a season where you got where you need and you like we've been in, like Christy and I have been in for the last couple of weeks, we, I don't think it's a burden. It's an opportunity that the church has had to serve. Now, if I just stay there and go, hey, you know, your meals have been great every night. Just keep it up. I don't ever want to cook again. Well, and all of a sudden now I'm burdened. I'm a burden, right? Uh, but they've been good. I'm saying it was, <laughs> it was tough. Now, some of you regarding burden, just by the fact of not being a burden on the church doesn't mean that your intentions are holy. Some of you are like, I'm working really hard to not be a burden at all. But your hope in not being a burden is actually pride. It's generated by, by your desire not to have to depend on anyone. It's not gospel-based because it's still selfish-based. It's still about self-protection. It's still about self-righteousness. It's still about protecting you. And so you're like, I'm not a burden because why? Not because I believe the gospel but because I don't believe the gospel. Because it's not out of a heart to serve or to give, but it's out of a heart to self-protect. Now, here, here's how it works. Here's how we work. We work to provide for the life we or you deserve by alleviating the burden of your own dreams. Think about that. We are motivated to work to to most often alleviate the burdens that my dreams demand. Meaning I want this or I want that. I want, a certain, I want to own a certain thing. I want a certain size house. I want a certain kind of lifestyle, whatever that is. So then I work in order to fulfill or to relieve or to alleviate the burden that I'm demanding of myself. That's how we work. Here's how the gospel works. Here's how Jesus begins to change our intentions. And now we become those who work to give, right? And so it looks like this. We work to give up our rights in order to alleviate the burden that life demands of others. You see the difference? Uh, there's no amen there. Nobody was like, amen. See, here's the thing. We go to work and our motivations are often uh, most present in the idea that I'm doing this job to alleviate the burdens that this that my dreams demand upon me. But when Jesus comes and takes, takes our heart over, becomes the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden we see work differently and we become people who work to give, work to alleviate the burden that life demands of others. 
And all of a sudden now we give up our rights. You see what Paul's doing? He's like, it was my right. It's your right to go to work and make your own money and hoard it for yourself. But when Jesus begins to, to be the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden your motivations begin to work differently. And all of a sudden now we're, we begin to be people who give up our rights in order to work really hard to alleviate the burdens that life demands of others. See, Christians are not takers. They're givers. Because Jesus has given to us. See, Jesus didn't come and take. Jesus came and gave. And so then in, in line, when we really understand that story, then we're like, okay, look, I'm going to work my job. So why? So, so that I can be a person that has the freedom and ability in the best way I know how. It, you don't have to be rich. It doesn't have to be a job that makes the most amount of The idea is I just go to work for what reason? So that God may use the little bit that I have, that I can surrender to him to help alleviate the burdens of a fallen world in our city and in our church. And so then we work different and we're motivated different by imitating Jesus and imitating Paul, giving up our rights. And, and let me just say like, and you guys, you guys are doing good work in this. I mean, I think you heard the financial update. We're like $50,000 in the black this year. 50 plus thousand. Praise Jesus. That's amazing. What is that? That's you going to work and surrendering that in order to give it away to alleviate the burden of a fallen world. And by that, and that money's great because it's going to go into an opportunity fund that God willing, we can church plant and we can serve more and we can give more away as, as the Holy Spirit brings things to our church. That's amazing. Our hometown Christmas signups, we're completely full. That's amazing. Yeah. What is that? That's you working and giving up your right to attend as just a member of the city or even just to have a Saturday to yourself. It's you giving up that right in order to alleviate the burden on the city and of the, of the fallen world around us. I love it. It's amazing. And it's happening. And there's great examples. And, and for many of us, man, our church is doing well in that. So we celebrate it. Some of us in the church, though, maybe need to be kind of challenge that, that maybe you are working really hard to alleviate your own burdens of your own dreams and that your pursuit of Jesus actually looks like the opposite of Jesus because Jesus, Jesus didn't come as king and think it, try to grasp glory for himself, but he gave it away. And so do we. And we make Jesus look good in our jobs as we give our right away in order to alleviate the burdens of those around us. Thirdly, worship is work. Worship is work. Verse 10, for even though we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So I talked about the benefactors. I talked about idleness as this over-realized return of Jesus that they just kind of gave up working in their everyday life because they thought Jesus was going to come back in any moment. And then there's this third piece of idleness that Paul pulls out to us, which is this idea of busybody, right? 
So it wasn't that they were idle and that they were not busy. It's that their idleness had a lack of intentionality. That they were idle about a lot of things, but not about significant things, right? And so they were busy doing a bunch of things, but it was disconnected from their walk with Christ, from the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because Paul chooses to end this whole book, not on a Sunday service, but on your worship in your nine to five. And, and he does it in these two ways. First is the recognition that your job is God's provision in your life. See, we, we miss it. We, we forget how God works. God provided a garden, and then he said, look, for your flourishing, grow some things, right? Do some things. Work hard in this garden. Subdue the earth. You, you realize that he uses this word subdued, that the earth was not completely subdued. The garden was a place of peace, but the world was chaos. You follow that? That's the story of the Old Testament. That the world was in chaos. And what were they called to do? They were called to expand the shalom of the garden over the face of the whole planet. But instead, they allowed the chaos of the planet to enter the garden and derail everything. They allowed the chaos outside the garden with the serpent to come into the garden and to derail the calling to subdue the earth. And so God provides a garden, God provides a job, God provides skills and gifts and opportunity and education and how you're raised and how and what you like and how you do things and how you think and the way that you are created. Why? To provide for you. And then when you go to job, when you go to a job, your your automatic deposit might say a company or a or a school or a hospital, but it should say the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has set culture in place. He's created a garden and, and he's created this culture in order for us to apply the God-given gifts and passions and talents and loves and our relationship with him and apply those things so that we can be provided for. Which means when you show up to your job Monday morning, don't look down upon it. Because in looking down upon the provision of God is to look down on God's hand as if what he's given you is not good enough. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stay there forever and be content, mobile, be, move, grow your gifts, put yourselves in better positions in order to what? Alleviate the burdens of the fallen world around you. You should have the best job you can have. You should be paid the most that you could be paid if it's your option so that what? You can give. So that you can serve, you, you should aspire to, to, the, to, the, to the place in your job that will give you the most ability to be generous with your money. And maybe some of us, like the Bible says, God doesn't answer our prayers because really our prayers are about selfish use. But if you came to God and go, God, man, I would love to be in a different job that has more flourishing and have more pain. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I would love to be there, Lord, because the best of my heart is I just, I want to re remove the burden of the fallen world around us. That is an honorable prayer. Now, if God doesn't give it, that doesn't mean you look at your job poorly. It's still God's hand and his provision, which means tomorrow morning you have the opportunity to worship or today, if today 
you got to go work a shift or sometime this week you're going to work and you're like, man, this isn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I thought my life would work out as. It wasn't the job of my dreams. It wasn't what I went to college for, but it is God's provision for your life. So then you worship by being thankful. God, thank you that you provide for me. Thank you that sometimes I feel entitled. Forgive me for worshiping this job more than worshiping the Lord Jesus or worshiping me by thinking that I should be thought of more highly or paid more highly than I ought. That's, I need to be humble and go, God, you've given me gifts and skills and abilities, and I want them to be used by you, and you're providing for me by giving me a garden. And for those people that go to work every day and they're like, I hate this garden. I hate this garden. I hate this job. I hate, that's a worship problem. That's not a job problem. That's a heart problem. Because that, pay, that, that is a gift from God for his provision. Someone's like, God, give me more. He's like, okay, I'll give you more. Work your skills. Read a book. I'll give you more, right? Tend the garden. The second part of worship here, um, and, uh, and uh, the second part of worship, well, that's, that's where if anyone is not willing to work, let them, let them not eat. That's God's provision is in work. You're like, God, provide for me. Go to work, right? That's what he's saying. Verse 11, for we hear some of you walk in idleness. The, this idea of busybodiness is the idea of unintentional use of time. Work as worship means being intentional with your busyness, your energy, your time, and your hands. Are you aimless at your job or is it an intentional surrender for the Lord Jesus to do what the Lord Jesus wants to do in you and in your job and in your clients and in your employees and in your coworkers. See, the gospel invites us to be busy, but on purpose. You hear that? The gospel, Jesus invites us to be busy. We're to be busy people, but not busy for busy's sake. Not busy to alleviate the burdens of our own dreams, but busy for the sake of worshiping Christ. Busy for the purpose of God's kingdom. Busy for what the Holy Spirit might want to do in any part of our day with anybody that we're interacting with. The gospel invites us to be busy. The problem is, is many of us are busy bodies. And so then what? We're so busy with sports and kids that we're not, we're not available to alleviate the burdens of the needs of the church or the people of the church or of our neighbors. Have you ever thought that maybe you're so busy you can't be on mission to make your neighbors insiders? That you're so busy, you're just a busybody in your own life that you don't even have an opportunity to invest in the kingdom. See, we're meant to be busy, but with purpose. And our busyness is saying something about our worship. We're all busy. If you have any conversation with anybody, it's, I'm busy, I'm so busy. I got so much going on. Yeah, that, we're meant to, by the way, but we're meant to be busy on purpose. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation of your busyness has to do with a Holy Spirit renewal of the way that you see the world and the way that you see the clock and the way that you see your purpose and what God has really called you to. And so then you have these two things, God's provision 
And his provision is you're, you're to work intentionally. You're to go to work, do your job, but with a different kind of intentionality because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he closes like this. As for you, brothers. Now I love that because he's making, he's making a distinction. All of this was for the idlers. So verse 6 through 12, he's like specifically talking to those who are idle, right? Those who are busy, but not with intentionality. Those who are not seeing work as worship, all of that. Those who are not seeing the garden and the tradition and working hard now that Jesus saved you. But now he's going to turn his attention to what? To those who are not idlers, to those who are working hard. They're just everyday, hardworking people, doing good, serving the church, showing up, giving of their time. He's talking to you guys. Because the idlers, they're not here, right? They're at brunch, right? They're busy this morning, but they're, they're unintentionally busy. It's avocado toast, right? But for them, for us, for us, you're like, okay, great. I'm on. I'm on board, right? Paul doesn't, now he wants to encourage you guys, those who are not idlers. Verse 13, as for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Man, now this, this one I, I could spend a long time on. But I, I, want, I want you to see the breakdown. Paul's still talking about work now, but he's talking about a work behind our work. Let me give you two options where the word work goes here. Because he's still, right? As for you, brothers, he could be saying, option one, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good work. Maybe that's what he means, that work goes on the very end. Or option two, he could be saying, do not grow weary in your work of doing good or in work doing good, right? Where does the word work go? What is the implication that Paul has for working? And I'm going to make an argument out of the text that he means option number two. That really what Paul's saying is, here, all of this that I've said about work is true. Now for those who get it, those who are in the church, those who are, are, they're not idlers. This is the opposite of those who are idle. This is for the everyday person showing up here on Sunday morning, just like you. And Paul's like, what about you? And here's what I think he's saying is don't grow weary in your work doing good. Meaning that the emphasis is that there is something behind your work. The work is now a tool for something else. And that the good work that he is implying, see, if it was do not grow weary in doing good work, you, you could apply that to your job or anything, but I actually think he's going deeper and he's applying your work doing good in the church. How am I getting that? Because look what he says in verse 14. If anyone does not obey what is said in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. What's he saying? Hey, for those of you who get it, you're working hard, you're tithing, you're giving, you're surrendering, you're showing up, you're going to CG, you're doing, you're, you're trying to live on purpose and all of that. He's encouraging you and saying, don't give up the good work of investing in the church. Because here's what happens. The church is messy and broken. And you know what happens? We, we become kind of prone to pride and self-righteousness when we're like, look, I'm doing my job and I'm surrendering and I'm tithing, but they're not. They're, they're I, like, I'm giving, but they're just taking. Or we show up to church and we're like, man, it's a mess. You know what we want to do? If what we're prone to do, especially if we're good workers, is that we can work too good. Meaning that we can attend church, but invest in our job. 
And what Paul's calling us to is to attend your job, but invest in the church. Don't grow weary working to do good because the church is a messy place. And Paul, Paul wants them to go, look, hey, if anybody's not, if anybody's not doing this, disciple them, invest in them, call them out, love them. Don't treat them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. All of that takes investment, not just attendance. And some of us, we love our work so much and we get such joy out of our work that we actually just attend the church, but we invest in our job because that's really where our God is. But if we've met the Lord Jesus, we work a job, we attend a job, but we invest in the church and we don't give up even though it gets really messy and ugly and there are takers and and there's different seasons and sometimes it can feel like you give and you give and you give and it seems like other people get breaks and time off and sabbaticals or whatever and you're just like, I, I just want some for me, and so I'm going to retreat from the community and just become an attender like them. Paul's like, don't grow weary in the, in the good work of the church. Make sure you're not just attending the church and investing in your job, but invest in the church and attend a job because that's the work behind our work is making disciples. No matter how messy, no matter how hard, don't grow weary. Free application. Some of you need to begin to work because you believed a lie that um, for whatever reason, you're entitled to idleness. Some of you need to see that there's a connection between your faith in Christ and your hard work, and you're not working hard enough. You're just not working hard. And the issue is not work harder because that's going to make Jesus love you. The issue is knowing how much you're loved and knowing how much you're loved by Christ motivating your working. Some of you can be burden alleviators, but you're choosing to be burdens on others. Again, that's not, some of you need to just be served by the church right now. That's okay. Two, some of you this morning are being spiritually idle. And so this morning, your way out is not to figure out how to be more busy, but instead to surrender to the Lord Jesus and receive the great work of the gospel for you. And thirdly, some of you are working well and you're investing in your job because you begin to pull away from the neediness of the church. And some of you are being called to repentance this morning to go from attender to investing. To going from just attending here and investing in your job to attending your job and really investing in the community of faith. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for this morning, for your great grace and how it changes our work. And we have a lot of work to do because our world is a broken place. And, and the, the weight and the burden of our work is not just us working harder. It is because it, our work, the hardest work of all, which is to be forgiven and saved, has come through Jesus Christ.
And so because Jesus Christ has saved us, now all of a sudden our work becomes worthy and all of a sudden significant. And I pray, God, that as we move into work this week, that we think about it differently, that we're intentional, not just busy, that we think about our schedule as a whole. It's not just nine to five. There's people that are busybodies at home, but they're, they're, not, they're not really investing there. I pray, God, that there's, there's people who are busy all over our city, that we can't be on mission or plant churches or make disciples because there's no space in their life or heart or schedule to do so. And they are disconnected from the gospel in which they believe. So I pray, help us, help us work hard, but from the hard work of Christ, not for Christ. Not in order to earn anything, but because it has been earned in Christ already. We pray in your name, amen.